Welcome to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. Our show is all about the exciting world of real estate, and in particular, how it relates to the lucrative New York market. But if you're not planning a real estate transaction in New York, we still have plenty of information that you can use no matter where you are. Now, here's your host, Vince Rocco. Hi from New York City, as Good Morning New York gets underway on this Tuesday morning, At this hour, unless you are very lucky, the New York City apartment or brownstone you're buying needs work. Anywhere from a little bit like refinishing the floors and painting the walls to a top-to-bottom gut renovation. So while you finalize what is likely the biggest purchase of your entire life, you must also determine how much work you and your budget can or should do before you move in. And ensure it takes place as fast as possible to mitigate the expense of carrying two homes at the same time the more dreaded thought carrying two homes at the same time, good Lord. We have two experts here this morning to help us understand the pros and cons of a renovation. And also at this hour, New York City's current affordable housing crisis means there's been keen interest in rent-stabilized apartments, and for good reason. Rent-stabilized apartments often allow people to live in neighborhoods they otherwise could not afford. The program also guarantees tenants certain protections that market-rate renters do not have, including relatively predictable and manageable rent increases, and an automatic lease renewal every year or two, meaning that except in rare circumstances, your landlord can't kick you out. And unlike some other affordable housing in New York City, rent-stabilized apartments are not intended solely for low-income New Yorkers. But first, I'd like to welcome my listeners in the United States and around the world. I'm Vince Rocco, and you are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate. In the news this morning, New York City is not going to ban glass and steel skyscrapers after all. But you wouldn't know it from sound bites from New York City Mayor uh, office last week. Mayor Bill de Blasio repeatedly made it sound as if he's poised to do just that, prompting multiple headlines and a big story in the New York Post covering all of that. He says we are going to ban the classic glass and steel skyscrapers, which are incredibly inefficient. He said this last Monday morning on MSNBC's Morning Joe program, a program that he uses often to address his national political audience. Does he have one? (laughs) We are going to introduce (laughs) legislation to ban the glass and steel skyscrapers that have contributed to much uh, of the global warming problem, de Blasio said later. Yes. later. Does he even know that, what it is? That is I what think, has contributed to the Vince, global warming. I think warming, his administration really... is built out of glass and steel. In that he's case. an idiot. He's a moron. <laughs> oh, it's a house of cards, actually. Clearly, he's like such an expert on global warming. He says they, he isn't. He says they have a place in our city. Uh, they don't have a place in our city or on our earth any longer. He went on to say the buildings at Hudson Yards are examples of the wrong way to do things and uh, refer to proposals Uh, that would ban the traditional glass and steel buildings. The city council says, though, there is no such bill on the books and doubts that it would ever pass. De Blasio's comments come on the heels of uh, recent attempts to put himself in the national spotlight ahead of what he says will soon be a decision on if he will launch a presidential campaign. <laughs> we got to go back to caves. <laughs> Living in caves. We're back, we're we're back to Soviet oh, I, I Russia. I wish he would. To do that. Yeah. I wish he I, I would wish enter. He would what a lot. I mean, that's the same no, as Anthony I mean, Wiener, I mean, really? More, more people Seriously. Come on. Really? Come on. Really. Not like the comics. Oh, we're such a political show. I can't stand know, right? For which the thus far appears to be a little appetite. According to recent polls, 76% of New York City registered voters say he should not be president. I second that, like someone else around this 26% world. 26% also he say he should not be mayor. He needs to go away. He and the, the one in the Washington need to go away together. Last week was the best week of the year so far for be Brooklyn's luxury market. such an odd couple, I'm market. sorry. I'm just picturing No, they're that. a likely couple. Living in a cave. <laughs> <laughs> okay, back to you, Vincent. Anyway, sorry. last week was the best week of the year so far for Brooklyn's luxury market as the borough saw 18 contracts signed for a total of about $53.6 million dollars. The properties were split between nine townhouses and nine condominiums, and they went for an average price of about $3 million. This according to the latest report from Stribbling & Associates. The firm defines the borough's luxury market as homes priced at $2 million or higher. I think they need to raise that. Both numbers are up from the week before when the market saw 10 contracts signed for about $30 million. Manhattan's luxury market saw 19 contracts signed last week for a total of about $139 million. This, according to the Olshan report, uh, the contracts signed at $4 million or above were split between 12 condos, six co-ops, and only one townhouse. Total sales and dollar value, volume were both uh, up from the week before when 17 contracts were signed for about $127 million. 
and applications are now open for 18 fully renovated units at 520 West 43rd Street in Midtown West. Located between 10th and 11th Avenues, the 33-story building was built in 1998 and boasts Hudson River views and proximity to Port Authority, Bus Terminal, Times Square, and now Hudson Yards. Known as the Helux, the building's name is a combination of Hell's Kitchen and Luxury. The building comes with a pretty amenities package and no shortage of transportation options. Qualifying New Yorkers earning 130% of the area median income can apply for the units ranging from $21.35 a month for a studio to $20.60 a month to, uh, for a two-bedroom. Unbelievable, Correct. It's unbelievable, but you know, that's all good. So anyway, our guest today, we have a few minutes left before we go to break, but we will introduce Dixon Projects has completed more than 800 renovations across New York metropolitan area from single room projects and quick kitchen remodels to full gut renovations and historic brownstone uh, renovations. Driven by a full service in-house team of professionals, Dixon Projects is well positioned to handle your project no matter the size or scale. We will discuss how they can offer you tailored solutions backed by award-winning design and white glove services. Dixon Projects is one is a one-stop shop for all your designs, renovation, and construction needs. Avoid dealing with multiple city agencies, contractors, architects, and interior design firms. Instead, sit back and relax while we handle every aspect of oftentimes complex construction uh, operations. That sounds like a sponsor ad, doesn't it? <laughs> you read that maybe, you need to, maybe you need to sponsor the show so we have a little more, you know, regular opinions. That would be a wonderful thing, right? Isn't that so something? You guys make excellent sponsors. For sure. Yeah, yeah, there you go. All right. So with us today is Alistair Evans. As a business development manager with Dixon, Alistair actively engages with external stakeholders, stakeholders to determine their personal and business objectives, ensuring uh, these are both met and continually optimized. He has developed his expertise from working as a corporate relationship manager at Western uh, Union Business Solutions, taking the lead on over 150 corporate accounts across a broad range of industries. Alistair received his bachelor's uh, of business with a focus in economics and finance applied from Royal Melbourne Institute of Technology. Did I say Melbourne right? You did. I said it right. Oh, there you go. Melbourne. Very big. Not Melbourne. <laughs> uh, Melbourne. Yeah. <laughs> right. The Australian way. Uh, and Nicolette Terramina is the Director of Interior Design, and she is, uh, with over a decade of experience and renovation, she has been a part of many brownstone renos, which you're going to talk about today, and her depth of knowledge is incredibly uh, serious. And so welcome to both of you. We have about a minute left before we go to break, but we're going to come back and we're going to talk about you know, projects that you guys uh, have done, projects that you guys are looking for. And basically the topic this morning is renovations in brownstones. Why are they different than uh, your traditional apartment renovation? And why, and, and, and the panel is also here, we're going to talk about why people really buy townhouses because they're not for everybody. They're large. In some cases, they can be up to 10,000 square feet or more. Sometimes it's not only for just families, it's for individuals. I, have, we, I sold one about three or four years ago to a couple. So what do they need with 10,000 square feet? We're going to go to break. We're going to come back. Uh, Right after this, this is Good Morning New York on the Voice America Variety Channel. We will be right back. Don't go away. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. It's not easy to make it big in New York City. It's even harder to sustain that success for decades. However, two teams have defied those odds due to their formulas for success. Both have all-star rosters performing at the top of their game. Each have an undying commitment to greatness, a willingness to evolve, superior training programs, and ownership that invests heavily in their product. It only seemed natural for the world's most valuable sports brand to partner with Halstead, a market leader in the New York metro area, and now proudly serving as the official luxury real estate firm of the New York Yankees. At Halstead, we know that what moves you is important. We're all about the power of transformation. We're revolutionizing the way people live and work. We are agents of change. We are the deal makers. 
We are the fearless negotiators. We are the future builders. So you can move to what moves you. Think of the world 50 years ago. Now think of this same world and how it'll be 50 years from now. Did you know that if the world's population continues to grow at its current rate, our children and grandchildren will only have 25% of the resources per capita that our parents and grandparents had? We must preserve the foundation of a quality standard of living. That foundation starts with Go Green Radio. Join your host, Jill Buck, for Go Green Radio every Friday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on Voice America. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Good Morning New York, real estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. All right, so you want to buy a brownstone. What do you need to know before you make the offer and embark on what could be the most exciting renovation journey of your life? So before we ask the renovators, let me ask the agents here, when you get a brownstone client, what is it that they're actually looking for? So do they want a home because they just want a home that's big enough? Or do they want something, you know, that's different than your typical standard apartment? And when you show them townhouses, because for the most part, townhouses are not in renovated, you know, uh, condition for the most part. Sometimes they are. What are they actually looking for? And are they, do they appreciate the fact that they have to actually renovate at some point? For the most part, I think um, it's anonymity. They don't want to have to deal with the board. They don't want to have to answer to anybody. They want to kind of have their own um, their own life without anyone intruding in it. Um, it comes with a lot of space. And oftentimes they'll buy a, a, a townhouse or a brownstone with uh, income, with income-producing apartments right. within it. So it actually produces. You know, the big, the big thing, too, and, and I'm going to ask you guys in a second, Dixon Projects, but the big thing, too, is, you know, a lot of – Homes, you know, through the years have been converted to multifamily. And then the big, you know, a swing back to single family happened about, I don't know, 10 years ago. So what was multifamily is now going back to single family. That makes renovation even more difficult. But as Anna said, some people buy, you know, there's at least one or two units that remain as an income uh, property and that they can use to rent out and cover some of the costs. All right. So uh, Dixon guys and gals, what are the benefits to uh, renovating a brownstone. When you guys walk in, you see, in some cases, a complete mess. Uh, most cases, it needs a complete gut renovation. And gut, for those out there who don't understand New York renovation terms, that means everything gets crashed and burned and started again. To the studs. To the studs. So what, I mean, what do you see as the upside to this, guys? Because you, you're involved in this on a, on a daily basis and, I mean, on a regular basis. Yeah, look, they're, they're really unique properties. I think we can all agree with that. When you walk into a, to a brownstone um, property, regardless of whether it is dilapidated or in some you know, in, in decent condition, they do carry some beautiful historical detail and that can it really brings you know, a property to life and can make it very special for you, you and the families as you move into. Correct. And some of them are large, as I said before, but there are challenges, you know, involved in doing this. What are, what are some of the challenges? I mean, I, I can only imagine, you know, cause my parents built a house when we were younger. And so you, you, you move into a brand new house and believe me, brand new, you still have things go wrong. You buy new development here in, in the city. Sometimes things go wrong after you sell, you sold and closed in a house. I can only imagine the challenges when you start taking walls down and and removing walls and 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 wallboard and sheetrock and all that's a flooring. What are the challenges of this? And and how then does it differ from a traditional apartment, a penthouse or regular apartment in a building? What what are the challenges with this renovation style? These are, these buildings are yeah, can be over 100 years old. So as as you as you mentioned there's there is often so much to find behind the walls that you wouldn't have uh, preempted or realized as you, when you first walk into the property. So conducting a thorough, uh, yeah, thorough um, yeah, uh, investigation prior to 
the yeah prior to the to the uh, to the to the walkthrough and and having the right team behind you to assist with that is is absolutely. I mean, imperative. we all watch HGTV, and for example, you know, we we see, and I can't remember some of the shows right off the top of my head, but we see, you know, and it's always drama on these programs, and it's done for a reason. So they start a renovation, and then all of a sudden, they call the owners of the house in. Oh my God, we discovered X. And oh my God, we took a wall down and look at what we found. And so you're talking plumbing, you're talking electrical. I mean, you're talking bugs, in some cases, termites. I mean, you don't know sometimes until you know when you take a wall down what you're going to find. So how often does that happen when you're doing a, a, a townhouse? I mean, I was involved in a complete gut redo about four or five years ago. And I have to tell you something. You know, every time I arrived on site on the Upper West Side, the contractor was standing outside, literally holding his head, <laughs> literally <laughs> holding his head. Now this house—it's not a good house. sign, Vince. No, it was <laughs> not, and I used to get panicked every time I would show up. But the point is, this—you know—this house is probably a hundred years old or more, and every day it was something else. Talk to me about what what the discoveries could be and what the cost overruns become, because that's a big part of it. I think if you're going to be purchasing a brownstone for whatever purpose, I think that other thing about brownstones is like, you never know what the client is going to use it for. It's a, it's a home that can grow. If you have small children or if you have an office downstairs or if you end up using it, you know, as a, as a share house with college kids that buy brownstones. Um, And that's like the first purpose of, (laughs) of like, you know, sort of figuring out what does this client actually need and how are they going to use the space? And you can always like pretty much 100% of the time count on that there's going to be some sort of problems. <laughs> and you just have to mentally prepare yourself and maybe financially prepare yourself. <laughs> well, we're going to talk about the financing piece in a minute, though. But but let me ask you something, because you especially, uh, Alistair, because you're kind of the front end guy who kind of sells the job, so to speak, and that has to sort of relate to, I mean, I was a salesman in my in my past day in corporate. And, you know, whenever something goes wrong, who do they first blame? The salesperson. And it, it, it's not different for, for- I was just going to say, and the difference <laughs> it's is- It's not different, you know, to sales agents and in real estate. But, but so when you're faced with, you know, a major dilemma and a major problem inside a wall, for example, or a floor, how do you tell this to the, to the owner, number one? And number two- then the cost overruns can be significant. And what if they don't have the money? I think the the most important thing really early on is to is to be as you know as transparent and upfront as possible with with the client and to make them fully aware of everything that could occur. So that when you do you are faced with you know something that is yeah, you, know, you don't you can't uh you know, as I mentioned, preempt or or predict. Yeah, you know, if there is and, and often there are, you know, Major cost overruns and and uh, and and timing, as well uh, that uh, that you know, unfortunately uh, is unforeseen. It's that early engagement and education piece is absolutely imperative. All right, so you know I don't know if the rule of thumb and and, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but but somewhat around three hundred dollars per square foot to kind of build out a townhouse. I mean, that's something that I immediately comes Sounds, to my head. Yeah. All right. So you can so, spend more, of course. But. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and we're going to talk about the lifestyle in the townhouse in a minute, but so let's just take $300 a square foot to renovate a townhouse. I mean, that could add up as Tracy just said, really, I mean, significantly, I just did a quick calculation, a 10,000 square foot house that I sold four years ago would cost $3 million to renovate. So, of course, the layperson outside of New York City is going to say, what the hell are you doing to a house in a renovation for $3 million? I mean, I don't even understand. I can't even wrap my head around that. So, 10,000 square feet. I mean, well, all right. So, awesome. even have, even have that. Well. Yeah. So, even have yeah. that, right? So, 5,000 square feet is going to cost you, you know, $1.5 million. People can somewhat understand spending $1.5 million to purchase a home, maybe. Sure. But to purchase and then have to spend that in a renovation, help us understand the listening audience out there who are not all New Yorkers, most of them are not, what do you get for that kind of money? I mean, because I'm a, a New York real estate person 17 years. I've been around the corner. I still sometimes shake my head over these numbers. I cannot get over these numbers. So let's take $1.5 million in a renovation. What the hell does that include? Well, with Dixon Projects, you get a, a beautiful property. Of course, of course you do. <laughs> no, it's uh, look at the yeah. There's there are the costs, particularly in in the New York metropolitan area, 
are you know substantially higher than you know, even Jersey for that matter, and and yeah, the, it it's driven by the labour cost. That is, uh, yeah, that, that is an absolute. Correct. That's a that's a key driver. That's a very important point. The, yeah, the accessibility, particularly in certain areas of of Manhattan, uh, that, that drives up costs, particularly for yeah for the for the labourers and the and the general contractors, and it is yeah it causes yeah the prices per square foot to start around and we'd agree with that around that three hundred dollars a foot for a full gut renovation. Now again, when you're originally pricing this, and I don't want to only focus on price here, but 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 people ask this of us all the time because I think part of what goes into the decision to buy a townhouse and or a brownstone is what is it going to cost me to renovate? You know, very few times do you see something that's already renovated and not only renovated, but to your liking. I mean, I've I've sold apartments in regular traditional buildings for two or $3 million that were renovated a year ago. And the buyers come in and say, well, this is just not my style. I like the footprint. I like the building. I like everything about this. So I'm going to buy this for two or $3 million and I'm going to gut the whole thing again and start again. I mean, that that's wild and crazy. People do that with new construction too, which isn't that kind of why you're buying new construction? But even in, <laughs> but even in resale, but even in resale, yeah. I've seen it more in yeah. resale than in new construction, but yes, it happens there. So, you know, the, the point is, I think where people need to start when it comes to, to pricing a brownstone reno is what is your lifestyle and what do you really need in this home to make your family function more efficiently or to make you live better. So when you guys are out there talking to clients, what what is it that they're actually looking for in a home that may be different than anything else that would then justify the cost of doing such a thing? And by the way, Alistair, what you said before is, you're right, when these homes are finished, and certainly by you guys, they're magnificent. I mean, I walk into some of these townhouses that have been finished, whether they're my clients or not, and you just look around and you remember what was and you see what is today, it's quite stunning. Pre-renovation townhouse prices versus post are very different. So it could be worth that million and a half you put into it. Absolutely. And probably even more so. But what, what kind of, what kind of things do people say to you two, you know, when you're out there interviewing them or talking to them about their wish list? I mean, what kind of lifestyles are they really looking for in a townhome versus a regular apartment? People look for a unique, property they like to have their own touch on it a townhouse you know they often as opposed to a you know a condo or a co-op there's beautiful features with you know with rear yards and, and decks and and rooftop terraces it's it's they, they really can be uh you can paint your own picture with, with these properties and and that is very appealing to you know to families out there and or, or couples and and so forth uh to uh yeah to to have their own touch on a property that that they'll be in for a number of years, and they make, and that's why you know, a townhouse, you know, be that brownstone or or stick frame, or or for that matter, they are yeah they're an amazing asset to hold within your uh, your you know, your investment portfolio. So is it um you know I mean people like to create their own space whether it's an apartment or a townhouse, and certainly in a townhouse it's 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 more um, advantageous. Are you finding that you're doing more renovations in townhomes? And brownstones in Brooklyn than in New York, or about about equal. Say Brooklyn at the moment would be more. I yeah, know of one that you guys are doing in Brooklyn, but I mean, do, are you fine? There's more unrenovated product out there still, wouldn't you yeah, say? There's more housing stock in Brooklyn, right? More housing stock in Brooklyn, more t- uh, brownstones, and more unrenovated uh, out there because they've been you know around for yeah. for a very and long more, time. And more upside. I mean, I think the you know I'm, I'm marketing a townhouse right now at 161 West 73rd and. Uh, you know, just looking at like the Olshan report every every week, like you know, flinching when I see it. <laughs> I mean, there's not really much going into contract in Manhattan, but as Vince started at the top of the show, there's a lot of product over two million moving in Brooklyn right now. So it, I think, it, uh, and from an investor and developer standpoint, uh, you know, Brooklyn has the most upside for a house. Well, Brooklyn, you know, as I said at the top of the show, eighteen contracts signed for a total of fifty three point six million, and uh, nine of those were townhouses. So they're buying a lot, and only one in on the on the Manhattan report. There was only one uh, uh, brownstone or townhouse sold in New York, in Manhattan rather. So in Brooklyn, there are nine homes. Now I would assume that probably three quarters of those homes, maybe all of them, need some kind of renovation. You guys have a lot of work to do because there's a lot of opportunity out there. Well, there's a lot of Brooklyn product that just hasn't been tapped into. There are a lot of Brooklyn Correct. neighborhoods that haven't been Correct. tapped into. So when you say Brooklyn, we all think about Brooklyn Heights and Park Slope and you know the main neighborhoods, but Brooklyn as a whole is a massive territory with a lot of untapped 
um, real estate further out, mm-hmm. you know, closer to Queens and Long Island. Yeah, so. the, the, yeah, and I feel like the brownstone and the other types of houses people are renovating are like creating new pockets in neighborhuids. Like Stuyvesant exactly. Heights, for instance, is like kind Lefferts of like Gardens, a Midwood. That's how it starts. That's how it yeah. starts because it beautifies the blocks. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk a little bit about um, um, before we get into the timeline of these renovations. Let's talk a little bit about landmarks and and historic situations because. I referenced one of the ones I had up on that I was involved in the gut renovation. I, and I've mentioned this on the show before. Somewhere through the years, they removed the stoop. Okay. They made it a multifamily house and they wanted the the the, the entrance to be on the, the street level, whatever. They removed the stoop on the Upper West Side, which is very traditional to have a stoop and to look beautiful and all of that good stuff. And so the developer I was working with wanted to restore this to a one family house, but he also wanted to bring the stoop back. Do you know it took one year to get through landmarks to get approval on that stoop? One year. That's it. Stoop that previously existed. A stoop that That's previously wow. existed. <laughs> Good expert. But it was. <laughs> well, well that's what I wanted to. We're going to get to that wow. in a second. But here's the thing, Anna. You bring up a good point. The stoop that existed before, however, the street wasn't designated landmark or historic until after the stoop was removed. So even though it existed before, um. They're a landmark when the stoop was gone. Well, they, they landmarked that whole block after the stoop was gone. And at the end of the day, bringing it back took a year. And the developer kept telling me, we have contingency plans. And a lot of that meant how we're going to do the inside of this place. So we kind of stalled uh, production on the inside. Because if landmarks came back and said, you can't have a stoop, that was going to change the whole design of the facade the whole and the whole entry and then the whole inside. So where's the entry going to be? Upstairs, downstairs? They didn't know. So they did as much work as they could I mean, it's just insane. So do you guys bump into, and 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 Brooklyn, I would assume, has uh, where there's a lot more townhouse uh, situations these days. I would assume that there's a lot of uh, landmark and historic uh, stuff out there as well. What do you guys do for that? And how involved do you get with them when you're renovating a home? Yeah, we are very involved uh, with, with both the Landmark and Preservation Committee. and Department of Buildings, for sure, yeah. Yeah, so... It you know it depends on what the the client is looking to do. You know we have we have a team of uh, in-house expediters uh, led by a lady who was uh, she worked at the DOB, so she knows you know, the system. Yeah, that helps. <laughs> well, expediter. That's what I wanted to get at because if you don't have an expediter and everybody says what's an expediter, but you need one to get. But haven't we learned to have, have a land- good relationship with yeah. one for sure? But Landmarks is um, staffed by volunteers, Correct. so it's not exactly part. paid employees right. that are racing to get things done, right? And the level of urgency is not there. Just like the Department of Buildings, it's a nine to five. Yeah, we'll get to it. We won't get to it. You know, whatever. Here's my head. My ass will follow in a few minutes. You know, whatever. <laughs> Chug along. And it's kind of like, really? Quote of the day. Quote of the day. <laughs> Love that. But you were saying, <laughs> That's from my grandmother, by the way. Go back. Go ahead. You were saying. Yeah, I think as well, we, Dixon, have renovated over 800 properties, and, and a lot of those have been townhouses. Um, yeah wonderful family homes converted back to single family and what that's what we've seen and what we've developed are excellent relationships with um yeah volunteers within the lpc if, if, if that's for that matter and and also the department of building so we yeah we are constantly up against uh you know certain issues with uh and have to you know put forward different permits and submit an alteration one or or for that you know, for that matter um but it's yeah it's that experience to lean on has been integral. If you have someone that used to work at the DOB, like you said, yeah. I feel like that's incredible. I mean, that person must know everyone Such that works end. there, and you probably have like a heads up on oh, like, is this gonna fly or is this not? It's like when you know someone on the board. Well, but sometimes yeah. 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 But that, that must be very helpful, right? I mean, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. She knows people on a uh, yeah on a, on, a, you know, on a first name basis, and yeah. it's uh, it is yeah, integral to. Uh, yeah, to the way in which we, you know, we, we operate and, um, and, yeah, and, yeah. and work with clients. Yeah, it's great. All right, so let me ask you about, you know, the most important thing that people ask about all the time is timeline. So generally speaking, I always quote about a year for renovations for a townhouse. Is that accurate, one year? Yeah, I would say, yeah. I mean, just think about it. Whether it's 5,000 square feet, 3,500 square feet, or 10,000 square feet, it's a house, and so there are a lot of extra things that need to go on. So is a, a year timeline accurate? It is, I would say, and it depends on if you're, so for a full gut renovation with, you know, with the approvals process through the DOB and, 
and the LPC and then moving into construction. You'd have to, and we would we would look to educate a client and say, look, a year is a realistic time frame potentially to start with it. You you could do it earlier than that, and and it depends on what the client ultimately wants and how how much you know, if it is a you know, full garden if they are moving walls around and and changing the layout. Uh, that's when you'll see. And in your opinion, obviously you can't live in a house that that's going to have a, a major renovation, so people are leaving and living somewhere else. Oh, people yeah, try. I actually, I, I did it at the tail end of mine. Yeah, but I clients lived also a have to in an apartment, and we'll never do that again. Clients also have to realize that they cause a lot of the delays with the change orders and cho- and choosing product and all of that. So it doesn't all lie on the people that you hire. All right, we have to take a break. You are listening to Good Morning New York on the Voice America Variety Channel. We will come right back after these messages, so don't go away. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. It's not easy to make it big in New York City. It's even harder to sustain that success for decades. However, two teams have defied those odds due to their formulas for success. Both have all-star rosters performing at the top of their game. Each have an undying commitment to greatness, a willingness to evolve, superior training programs, and ownership that invests heavily in their products. It only seemed natural for the world's most valuable sports brand to partner with Halstead, a market leader in the New York metro area, and now proudly serving as the official luxury real estate firm of the New York Yankees. At Halstead, we know that what moves you is important. We're all about the power of transformation. We're revolutionizing the way people live and work. We are agents of change. We are the deal makers. We are the fearless negotiators. We are the future builders. So you can move to what moves you. Think of the world 50 years ago. Now think of this same world and how it'll be 50 years from now. Did you know that if the world's population continues to grow at its current rate, our children and grandchildren will only have 25% of the resources per capita that our parents and grandparents had? We must preserve the foundation of a quality standard of living. That foundation starts with Go Green Radio. Join your host, Jill Buck, for Go Green Radio every Friday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on Voice America. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Good Morning New York, real estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. Okay, everybody, we are back, and we're here with the panel. Anna Shagalaw from Halstead, Tracy Hammersley from Douglas Elliman, Phil Horrigan is here from uh, FreelyAndLeaseBreak.com, Sean McPeak from Halstead, and Sean Atterbury from CORE. And we also still have uh, Alistair Evans uh, and Nicolette from um, Dixon Projects. And we're going to bring them back in in a few. All right. So let's talk a little bit about living on the ground floor of an apartment. It often gets a bad rap in New York City with good reason. Being on the lower level of a building means you'll have less access to privacy, especially if your windows face the street and less natural light. Plus, you'll be closer to noises, smells and potential pest problems and security issues, although it will be easier to renovate, okay, if it needs it. Because of these factors, you'll also see ground floor apartments listed for a lower price or rent, if it's a rental situation, than a similar unit on a higher floor. Same footprint, higher floor, more money. Uh, Beyond um, saving some of your hard-earned money, there are a lot of New Yorkers who actually prefer living on a lower floor, Okay. Not only might they be easier to move into, especially if it's a walk-up building, but these apartments can be obvious choices for the elderly. Um, 
or people who have mobility or health issues, children, or if you have a dog, uh, baby strollers in and out easier. So, and if you go in and out several times a day. So people, some people do enjoy that. So what are the features that can actually make them more desirable and luxurious if they're on first floors? I mean, I think the stigma with the first floor is like, oh, it's first floor, it's like, you know, whatever. It's not as light. It might not be as safe, but, but, but that's but not always the as, case. It, not of it depends on the neighborhood. Absolutely. I lived um, on six between A and B in a ground floor with a giant yard and we grilled. I mean, the benefit Wonderful. is that you, you, yeah. you, can get do, you could space. get private outdoor. Yeah, that sounds but I'll tell you, the, the accessibility to the world, just walking out your, you know, just walking through the hallway, not dealing with the, the, build, the building, not having to wait for the elevator. It was, it was magical. Like you I, lived in a little house. I wanted, it's magical. I wanted to second what Anna said. I think a lot of times that's why people take the ground floor is because of the outdoor space. Yes. So they, it's not like they want to necessarily live on a ground floor, but they're willing to overlook that and look, overlook the, the downsides because they just love outdoor space. I've had a lot of clients like yeah. that. And in, depending on the neighborhood, if you have a lot of low buildings around you, you will get a lot of light. We had a ton of light. We had more light. We had to put shades up half the day. And if you think about ground floor apartments... In, in relation to townhouses, I mean, the nature of a townhouse, you're on the ground floor and your entertaining space is on the ground floor. So it's just like a hyped up, more expensive version of a ground floor apartment. The one, the one thing I think people who are like looking for a discount on an apartment, that's, I think that's mainly the reason why people jump on a ground floor, especially renters. Uh, a lot of things, they, one thing they overlook is like the amount of pests that you can have. In New Again, York not City. in every building. I didn't have any. Certainly not in any I building. I didn't have not one and in I'm, my some, ground floor apartment I, on in On six East between Village. A and B? I've seen Yeah. <laughs> back to back, back to back with I've, Ace I've, Bar. I had no, amazing. And it was so quiet Because you were so too. clean, and Anna. I'm not kidding. We had zero. Did you have cats? We had a dog. Nothing. Well, and I'm sorry, Vince, I would not normally plug my own listing, but you have set this up so perfectly. I have a stunning jewel box <laughs> below market, one bedroom at 124 East 91st Street between Park and Lexington. That Lovely. is a first floor. That, that has been crazily renovated by an interior decorator <coughs> to a, the nth degree asking only 575 which is so below market for what this this is turnkey perfection could even be sold fully furnished it is 1b but you actually have to climb stairs up when you enter the stoop the beautiful stoop it is an elevator building it is in the back of the building it is safe it is somewhat wow. sunny no private outdoor space but it is below market because it is All right, the first I'm floor be listing Tracy Hammersley one. Douglas Elliman. that's right I'm going to be listing a one bedroom apartment on the first floor in the Midtown West building that I that I work in all the time. And I mean, you know, listen, I sold it to him. He's now bought something else uh, and is renovating. And once that's done, he's going to sell that one. So at the end of the day, there is an audience for one bedroom, uh, for a uh, first floor apartment. Not a huge audience, but there are people out there. Listen, and Vince, if it got decent light, I mean, you're not going to get tons of uh, natural sunlight. How many daylight hours are you actually at home? Exactly. Most of us who work such crazy hours, you leave before the sun well, comes listen, up and you come like back after it's People will say, I have to have a river view and I have to have a park view, but yet I work from 7 o'clock in the morning to 9 o'clock at night. You don't know what's out there. You're looking at a wall, right? Who knows? Also for of the river the you're looking at blackness. I, Investors also, if it's a condo, renters sometimes don't care and they can get well, that's very buy true. in at a, uh, at a lower price and rent it out and actually make a little more. I will actually, sorry, just one more thing on that. I don't know if you guys have noticed this, but in this market that has been less frenetic, it's not just the first floors that are going for lower prices. I've had a harder time moving second floor, even third floor. I have some buyers who say, I don't want to see something below the fourth floor, whether it's an elevator or a walk up, they don't care. It just took so me one very year interesting. and one month to sell a second floor apartment that was Beautiful with a big that tree in another in the market window. would have flown, exactly. right? All right. So to the guys who renovate all the time for living Dixon projects. So you know, outside of brownstone, brownstone, do one first floor units work easier for you guys, or does it not really matter? I mean, you're not dealing with elevators. You're not dealing with moving in and out, and it's definitely much more convenient for contractors okay. and getting in and out and not disrupting neighbors and um, other tenants nearby as much. Okay. Well, I can see that because it's it's a nightmare when somebody's renovating in the building and the forever, for some reason, they're always renovating in my building. And no matter what floor they're on, you always hear, yesterday I was working from home and you always hear tap, 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 tap. And I'm like, where is this coming from? So I ran downstairs and said to the doorman, who's renovating now? Or what's going on now? He's like, oh, whatever. In my building too, it's constant. And the elevator's always padded. Totally. And you always have to it's wait. It's unbelievable. Then, yeah. It's just unbelievable. But, but but this is what keeps us all in business and we need to have nice, nice apartments. Anyway, if you're looking for an apartment listing in New York City, I love this one. Once in a while, the text will proclaim deal fell through or 
back on the market. That way, it's present the way it's presented makes it sound enticing. It smacks of a personal, a possible window of opportunity that may not be true. Back on market, you know, whatever deal fell through. I always kind of didn't like those terms, and I very seldom ever use it. So, actually, what does this mean, and why are buyers skeptical when they read those two things? Deal fell through and back on market. When you're a buyer, what are you looking at or thinking, actually, when you see that? The first thing, if it's a co-op, I think that it was a board turned down. Back on the market. Or what's wrong with it. Or what's wrong with it. A buyer is automatically going to go to what's wrong with it. But I'll tell you, the savvy broker and buyer should see it as opportunity. opportunity, More motivated seller. Not only more more motivated seller, but a history of negotiation from the listing broker. You have an idea from that seller what they're going to give up. The mm-hmm. seller could have and fatigued. It, I mean, the broker could yeah. be totally, you know, incompetent. And it could just be that they're letting everyone know who was a potential buyer. By the way, this is not a mistake. This is still Absolutely. live. You know, there were the 10 of you out there who wanted this. Now it's... But, but Tracy, let's let, let, still let, let's go back to the, the possibility of a board turn down because available. that's a biggie. And so when buyer, if I'm out with buyers and it's a co-op situation... And, you know, you, 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 you do your little due diligence and you find out that it's been board turned down, especially with back sure. on market. Do buyers kind of have a, a different look or thought when they know they there's worry been a board turned down? if it's a crazy down? co-op, they worry if, you know, they think they're very well financially qualified. But is this something that, you know, is, is the co-op going to be too stringent with them? Is this something that they have to worry about on resale? People are always thinking about that as well. I also just had a very unfortunate, I don't have many board turndowns in my 16-year career, thankfully, but um, we did just have one where there was a bankruptcy that was not disclosed. That was almost 10 years ago, so it wasn't picked up on the initial. And they turned it down for a so, bankruptcy? And they, because then years it turned ago. out there were some other things. But it things. clears after seven years. It shouldn't make a difference. That's that's what we had thought, but they went into some really crazy, meticulous, I don't wow. even know what kind of black web search. I can understand a foreclosure or, or a short sale on, you know, in a housing situation before, but a bankruptcy could be based on anything. Well, yeah. that's that's well, what I was just going to say. I mean, it's, you're so fortunate to actually have that to relate yeah. the next buyer to come through. I was with texting comes. with the board president. Yeah, it was fun. Oh, that's kind of lame. Shooting down deals right now. We just had one bounce back. Oh, co-ops have been very bad. The price very was bad. it? They communicated. They need that to we learn. Can, they need to learn well, that they, the market, the co-op, doesn't set the, the can, price. They're letting us. They're allowing us to resubmit it. At a that's good. Price. Yeah. Are you going to do a seller credit so that the price? Or are yeah, you? I can't disclose that. Okay, good luck. Go. <laughs> He'd tell you, but he has to kill you. <laughs> During commercial break. <laughs> right. Perfect. Okay, know, good luck. This, good luck. this deal fell through concept, I think, as a listing agent, could be a, a it's a very important tool that I, I've used before. Well, tell me about it because I don't like to use okay, that so, term. So I die. Yeah, I, so, so, tell us, Phil. Talk if, to us, Phil. No, it's very Dr. important. Phil. And, and I have used it before. So, first of all, your job as a listing agent is always to get the best price possible. Yeah. So, if there's a board turndown or if let's say the owner was out of the country for two months and you couldn't show it for two months or whatever, the days on the market is going to show a lot of days, right? Absolutely. And that's one of the reasons why the savvy buyers and the brokers who have buyers are going to see how long it's been on the market. Mm-hmm. And let's say they just came, let's say they just started with a buyer. Instead of them just seeing, oh, it's on the market for, say, three months, if they now see deal fell through, and by the way, I always put a date. I'll say, Mm -hmm. deal Uh, fell through, it's back on the market. I'll put, like, today's date, say. Now the savvy buyer or the savvy broker is going to be like, oh, man, this this could be like, it's almost like a new listing. Mm -hmm. It just got the, you know what I mean? So it's it's a way. No, I I, I get the spin, but as a a buyer's agent, I might appreciate that more because I have more to discuss with my buyer, the possibility that this may be a good situation for us coming in. Right. But as a listing agent, it's kind of like you're almost saying, well, here are all the red flags that came up. So we're back on market or we're whatever. Maybe there was a board turned down, maybe not. So I don't, it's not like I don't want to tell people, but I don't necessarily maybe want to advertise it because I think, as Anna said before, I think people will immediately look at that and get a little fearful, uh, not saying that that's going to stop them from coming through, but uh, you know, because what what is the first question that people ask you when when you are the listing agent? How long has it been on the market? How long is it on the market? The, no, I mean, not the first question, I was out with a buyer over the weekend, and the first question in every, we saw about seven apartments, the first question, I mean, the dust wasn't even dry from the door opening and closing. How long is it on the market? Right. 
But if it's been, let's say the first day it was on the market, it went into contract, and it's been on, it was in contract for a couple of months, yeah. and there was a board turndown, now it's back on the market, it almost was like really never on the market. So the question is, mm -hmm. should you really justify a price reduction if it's been on the market for three months in contract the whole time, and then there's a board turndown? Probably not. So as a listing agent, I want to present some evidence as to why this particular property doesn't justify a price reduction, right. even though it's been on the market for say two months or three months. I mean, but, but by the way, all of this is, is really marketing and all of this is really, you know, your genius and how you decide you want to put your, your listing out there or talk to your buyer about it. Because you know what? There's no science to it. I mean, there really is no science to it. It saying does. you have to look at the specific situation. If you're getting no hits on something anyway, yeah. you've been in the market for three months, you know the owner's not gonna drop the price because it was in contract for the last three months. Yeah. You might as well try something. You have to get some eyeballs onto that property. And no matter what your first opinion or your first feeling is gonna be when you see that those those words deal fell through or back on the market, the the good broker is gonna call the other broker and find out information for their client. So you don't just you don't just rest on the feeling that you have and the reservations that you have. You get information and then you relay that to your buyer and see if it makes sense. I often Absolutely. I put stuff on my listing often for the savvy buyer's agent. That's who I'm sometimes yeah. marketing for, absolutely. depending on the situation. But oh, I will, absolutely because I know that that broker is the one that's gonna take that information. Right. And, and help the, the buyer make the right decision. All right, moving on. Design shows are all about tearing down walls and opening up spaces, as we talked about with Dixon here. But what's wrong with a little more privacy and a little less togetherness? So what is today's trend and what style is better? So we've gone from closed kitchens to open kitchens to closed kitchens, back to open kitchens, which have lasted for a long time. Taking down dining room walls, the biggest trend in pre-wars. Take the dining room wall down, make it one big kitchen dining family room kind of situation. So less privacy, more privacy. Family uh, is easier to live in than not. We can go back and forth between new development and 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 pre-wars, older older buildings, post-wars. <clears throat> what do you all see as the trend for today? When you're out with buyers, what are they reacting better to? More privacy with closed walls or more openness. I'm still seeing the demand for more open, more open. larger, entertaining. They will even take smaller um, uh, bedrooms I'm, to have uh, a larger living space. Yeah. And, you know, it doesn't matter how massive a residence is. 80 to 90% of the time, the family's going to spend around the, the, the open kitchen, the dining room, the living room. Exactly. The kitchen. Yep, exactly. Under your feet when you're Bo cooking. Bo and I are about to list an estate sale on the Upper East Side, and we and, and it's it's a beautiful pre-war apartment. We actually are working with Dixon to help create an open plan for a buyer to kind of open their minds. So we work with um, Alistair, Nicolette, and, and Lewis um, very closely to kind of create that. But the, our mind goes to how do we open this up as opposed to... To keeping, yeah. I mean, we're going to do both, right, Alistair? We're going to do um, an enclosed, keeping it as is version and just making it nice and, and an open plan. But when you think about a gut renovation, it's all about bringing in as much light as possible. When you take down those walls, you're bringing in new windows. So from other, from, uh, no, from other, like, uh, exactly, really that's good. what I mean, There's, yeah. It's funny because if, if you're touring some buildings that are like, you know, three, four bedroom apartment style apartments, family apartments, um, and I'm, and I've been taking buyers to the Bellinord and then I have buyers uh, down at a uh, 71 late in Tribeca and I'm seeing buyers gravitate towards like the all inclusive over, you know, oversized marble slab bank at built in TV, like, you know, kids do homework at the table, like in just in the kitchen area, then having a, a separated living area. And I really haven't seen that. is beautiful. Yeah. And if it's done well, it's, it's honestly kind of better. It is beautiful. Towards like the all-inclusive, over you know, oversized marble slab, banquet, built-in TV, like you know, kids do homework. Well, the there's a suburban feel to that, which is kind right. of unique yeah, in Manhattan. Yeah. yeah. But I, but I, but I think I don't have kids. But I think about kids sitting in the banquet area oh, of the, the kitchen while you're preparing dinner or whatever, and they're doing their homework, and you can. Keep an eye on them, and you can answer their questions. If, if you have questions. the space the to accommodate thing. for that, I mean, I personally don't have the space to accommodate for that, and my well, kids sit at the at the kitchen counter 
while you know I need these and, guys to come and do it for me. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> you do. Happen. You do. They're the best. Um, but my kids sit at the kitchen counter, and it's kind of a similar situation. Yeah. Um, but oh, if I if I had room for a banquet in a heartbeat. Well, I will say. Go ahead. Um, no, I was going to say the other side of it is I do have a few buyers who like to cook a lot, and they like things to be a little hidden. They don't want people to see the messiness of well, that's, the, that's the cooking and to hide things. But in general, I would say in new development, a lot plan. of the criticism I hear is because everything these days and has been for a long time time has been open. And I get a lot of people coming through who cook a lot. I cook every day, so I understand smells and this and that, whatever. But they come and they say, well, you know what? I really cook a lot, so I don't want my cooking aromas to go through the apartment because this is all open. Someone's sitting in the living room. And I said to somebody just this past Sunday when I was showing my new development, I said, well, let me put it to you this way. I said, even if you put a wall up over here, which you can on the other side of the yeah, island. Yeah, it's easily remedied. You can, it's sure. easily remedied. I said, but you don't think that the smell is going to go right out yeah. around the other way? It's just like, yeah. you know, anything else. You're not I mean, gonna, nowadays you, know, you can get, get an air freshener for heaven's sake. Oh, yeah. cook good food that smells good. I mean, what do you want from me? And nowadays you can get really creative with a open, closed concept. Actually, yeah. you can yeah. keep it open if you wanted to, and like then have something slides down or slides across or area yeah. that you could just shut the door yeah. to. Right. It was Butler's bigger than for a person, but yeah. yeah. And you could just make a destructive mess in there, and then shut the door, and everything looks pristine in the main open kitchen. It's kind of cool. That is cool. Listen, I uh, the the five room on the end of my hallway just uh, finished a renovation about six months ago, and it was what two bedrooms, a dining room, kitchen, living room. So a typical pre-war five room apartment, beautiful, big, you know, all West End Avenue facing. They opened the wall and the reno- they did they renovated the entire apartment. They opened the wall I mean, between the kitchen and the dining room, kitchen dining area. They left the living room and the bedrooms and the bathrooms all in place. Just redid them. But I walked in there to see it, of course, and I went through every every couple of days I go in just to see because I love renovations, by the way. Invite me anytime to your projects. I love to come and see stuff <laughs> start to finish. And I got to tell you something. I was a little skeptical up front because, like I said, I prefer the, the, the eat-in kitchen uh, scenario with the banquet and all. But the way they did this renovation was just spectacular. And it brought in a larger window line. So when you walk into that room, yeah, you've got like uh, five windows versus, you know, one in the kitchen and three in the dining room area. It, it just turned out to be beautiful. So there are so many different things you can do in renovations. Thank you guys for being with us today. Unfortunately, that's our show. Thanks for joining us, Alistair and Nicolette. Shoot for the moon, everyone, because even if you missed, you'll land among the stars. And the only person you should try to be better than is the person you were yesterday. Be kind to one another. And for all of us at Voice America all around the world. Thanks for joining us, and we will see you next week, we hope. See ya. Bye-bye, everybody. Thanks for tuning in this week. Please join us for another edition of Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco next Tuesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Here's hoping all of your transactions are successful ones. We'll be right back.